0: Hey, y'all, and welcome to another episode of Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. Today, we talked to someone I was so excited to come across because she is me in a few years, hopefully, (laughs) Dr. Lynn Kreiner, DVM. Dr. Lynn Kreiner has a hunter-jumper background, and she currently owns Texas Equine and Pet Veterinary Practice. Dr. Kreiner talks to us about her path to becoming a veterinarian, her different experiences while owning a practice and working for someone else, and how she takes care of herself as a veterinarian. Her hunter-jumper background has led her to have a better understanding of horse athletics, And chiropractic care and things like that. So I'm super excited to talk to her today. Let us know what you think. Leave us a comment, rate, review all those good things, and enjoy this episode. You are listening to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast, with your hosts, Abriana Johnson and Caitlin Gooch. Thank you so much for taking some time at the end of your i'm sure busy day to talk to us for our podcast know, well,
1: it was one of the lighter days it just happened to run late
0: oh okay well that's good that's good <laughs> <laughs> we have been uh, starting our podcast off with just sharing that something that we are thankful for today so okay. lynn if you want to tell us something that you are thankful for today
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm thankful that my husband traveled safely back home, He was out of town for a week. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm thankful that we had an absolutely gorgeous day here in the Houston area. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just thankful that I was able to help some clients today.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Caitlin, what are you thankful for today? Today has been an awesome day and I'm thankful that my uncle um, he celebrates his 65th birthday today. So I'm happy that he gets to celebrate another birthday and our family that could
2: come has came out and we're celebrating his birthday right now.
0: <laughs> awesome. Let me see. That's great. You'd think I would have been prepared since I went last. I'm going last. Um, <laughs> I am thankful for all of the animals that i am watching currently them just being healthy i'm pet sitting at two farms and i'm between my animals and the animals that i'm watching at the other two farms i'm caring for 18 animals every day (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, I am thankful that everybody, um, is healthy and nobody's injured and I don't, you know, I can just go and feed and do my thing and not have to worry about any drama. So (laughs) I appreciate those animals for that. Uh, Lynn, if you would just tell us briefly about yourself, kind of where you're located and what your current, uh, discipline is as far as horses
1: okay so um i am located uh southwest of houston i'm in a small town called meadville um and it is between the sugarland richmond rosenberg area and freeport texas so um but it's easy access to basically the Houston metropolitan area. hmm Um, as far as the horses, uh, I have done hunter jumpers exclusively for years, um, have taken a break from that recently due to family mm-hmm. and, uh, my son is, even though he loves his pony, Um, his passion is gymnastics. And so that's where I spend most of my time when I'm not working. Um, and, uh, when I can get on and ride, I'm, uh, trying to get horses, um, or get my horses kind of in condition to jump them over big sticks if I can. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. So, how did you get into horses in the first place?
1: So, um, I've been one of those people who has uh, kind of always wanted to be around horses. I can't even remember when the first day that I saw a horse was. All I can remember is the fact that I wanted to participate in the horse world.
2: Mm -hmm. Mostly
1: I wanted, you know, as a child, I want to ride it. I want to see it. Can I touch it? Um, So I would guess my first memory of really wanting to be around the horses was when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. And um, that was in the time where you went on the family Sunday drive through the countryside. Mm -hmm. And at that time – we lived in California in the Oakland, San Francisco Bay Area. So we would go on our Sunday drives and we would drive through the Oakland Hills and up north. I'm not really sure exactly where we were, I was in the back seat. And we would see these hills covered with grass and you'd see anywhere from 5 to 25 horses and I remember sitting in the back seat saying oh look horses I want to ride when can I ride a horse can I have a horse Mm -hmm. so that is um, probably my earliest recollection is the Sunday drives and seeing the horses as we traveled through various parts of Northern California
0: that's pretty cool. I wonder, when I was growing up, um, we used to do that, too, like, just drive around on Sundays. My dad had a Jeep Wrangler, and he would take the top off, and we would just drive around. I wonder if people do that anymore.
1: Well, <laughs> uh, I don't know. With the price of fuel, they may not. That's right. I was just
0: thinking that gas is a little bit too high for all that
2: now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Back, back when we did that, <clears throat> gas was, like, 23 cents a gallon. What? Yeah, it was it was a ways ago. It was before the first um, gas crisis,
0: mm-hmm. the sh- shortage. It was before the shortage in 1972-73. <laughs> wow.
1: wow <laughs> we would wow. drive around, and he had a big gas guzzler, and the family would pile in, and <laughs> we just drive. That would be the yeah. like Sunday thing
0: yeah that's awesome that's awesome so what led you into the career that you are in now
1: um wanting to do something in the horse business Mm um you know because growing up you know I rode wanted to ride went from western to dressage to hunter jumper
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and um, I always wanted to do something that had to do with the horse business. Um, and I would tell my parents, I want to be a jockey. But mm-hmm. well, when I got, my, my mother would laugh and she says, no, you don't want to be a jockey.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was 12, I was
1: five foot six and 126 pounds. So I being a jockey was out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know, I loved watching watching the races mm-hmm. and uh, was fortunate to be able to to you know watch the triple Crown when secretariat won and nice. um, that was you know it was pretty amazing mm-hmm. um, you saw
0: that so casually i know like like that's not a big deal
1: <laughs> yeah i'm probably i'm Probably a little bit older than most people think, but that's okay. Um, And uh, so then after that, um, you know, leaving California and coming to Houston, um, my mother found a barn where I could actually work and ride. So I worked cleaning stalls, feeding horses, grooming horses, packing up horses. And at that time, it was when people, like, would rent horses to ride through the park. And so we would take people on guided trails around Herman Park in Houston. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was in the mid to late 70s. Um, And no one would recognize it now because the barn that used to be there um, and basically right off of downtown Houston, right next to the Herman Park and the, and the Museum District, is now um, filled with multiple uh, large, very fancy, really nice-looking um, apartment complexes and, and duplexes, townhomes, things like that. Yeah, And you would never know that there was a huge barn with a huge covered arena and about 80 to 100 stalls. Wow. <laughs> right near downtown Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, but those days are gone, and there aren't too many large barns in Houston, though. There's still a lot of backyard horses in Houston for the areas that aren't zoned, so mm-hmm. and that's always interesting. My parents were decidedly against me becoming a trainer because that was the next thing I wanted to do. If I can't be a jockey, I want to be a trainer. Yeah. And my dad was pretty vehemently against that. Mm -hmm. And I was still of the malleable age where, you know, what the parents said pretty much went. (laughs) You didn't really buck the system. So I, you know, got down to studying and, and, uh, you know, they said, do something else. And then board your horse and let somebody else take care of it. And then you go ride your horse and you go home and you go back to work. So I did that paradigm for a little while and um, still wasn't really happy. I mean, I had a great time in school and uh, had a couple of different jobs and did a few other things that were interesting. Right. Right. But uh, it wasn't horses. And then one day, I just kind of woke up and said I was done, and I was gonna um, do something else. And and that something else um, turned out to be that medicine. I think it was. I was. I was, as it happens, um, an EMT, trying to and deciding, trying to decide whether or not I wanted to go into the paramedic program. Right and probably picked up one too many people off the road. I think this was a, a train a train and truck collision. Oh, no. Yeah, and it was, it was a slow-moving train and a, and a truck with a slightly inebriated driver. And I think that was the day I said, I'm done. I'm not interested in human medicine. I'm going to go to vet school and that was about 2 o'clock in the morning
0: <laughs> it happens like that so. sometimes
1: it happens like that yeah <laughs> and so then I spent the next couple of years um, uh, getting the courses that I needed um, to add to the degree that I'd already had in communications to uh, get the prerequisites to go to med school mm-hmm. and um, it, it took it took just um, keeping track of everything, going up to the school at Texas A&M and seeing what the requirements were and coming home and sitting down and writing everything out and making my plan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, I guess it it actually worked out pretty well. I know people want to know how many times I had to apply. I only had to apply once.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and for me, the getting in was easy. It was the
0: getting out that was more challenging, <laughs> the getting out. Oh yeah, you,
1: you want to get out. You want to graduate. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. People, some people get out without graduating, and
0: uh, oh, I, I didn't, didn't even know that out. was an option.
1: Well, you can. There are some people that decide, you know, for whatever reason, that you know, after two years in vet school, they're like, "Yeah, this is not for me." Right, and um, you know, it's at School, you're thinking, oh, I could have been a garbage collector and been way ahead because I wouldn't have these student loans, and mm-hmm. I might actually be, be making money. What was I thinking after your last final? But you know, you hang with friends and and you go do something in the summer that gets you excited again, and you go back to school, and and uh, yeah, it's 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 really it's more challenging than people realize, mm-hmm. um, but it's really fun, and you make. You make relationships that you will have for a long time.
0: Right, right. So do you mind telling me kind of what age you were when you made this decision, when you, like, to go to vet school?
1: I was 28. Okay. I got hope. You you do not not have to do high school, undergrad vet school. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I think that... um, being an older student Mm -hmm. is beneficial for when you get out of that school because you have a different take on on uh, life and opportunities and um, you know general experiences that I think um, people that don't have uh work-life experience prior to that medicine um, end up being a little bit surprised right. at some of the things that they have to actually deal with. Right, um, right. Because as, as much as that as much as, um, medicine is about the animal, it's also about the people.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Even if you think you're not a good people person, you eventually have to become a good people person Yeah. because no dog, cat, horse, cow, pig, goat, or sheep will walk into a vet clinic and say, I'm sick, fix me. Yeah.
0: yeah and they I also, will, they also know. won't pay their bill. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So
1: you, and you have to be able to talk to people and relate to their issues and right and help them out and right. still give time to yourself to have a good work-life balance so that you don't burn yourself out
0: right right um all of my mentors um kind of on my pre-vet track have gone into vet school later so you know people are like oh you know are you gonna apply are you gonna apply you know I kind of got a different perspective from them like you know, I want to work for it first. I want to kind of save some money. There's a lot of things. Like, I got things to do. And I know once I come out of that school or my friends that have come out of that school, they have to kind of hit the ground running because, you know, they got the debt and they've got expectations, you know, of them that they're just trying to, you know, hustle and, and, and keep it moving, so... Right. I'm right. like, That's, and, that school's never going anywhere.
2: <laughs>
1: it, it's not going anywhere. And actually, um, I believe in my class, we had uh, half a dozen people with master's degrees. Mm-hmm. And I think we had one person with a PhD. Mm-hmm. And I was like in the middle of, I was in the middle of my class in age mm-hmm. and there were multiples of people that were much older than I was
0: Yeah,
1: and a lot of people that were very young I think my class had one of the youngest people in school he got in at 19 which is amazing wow exceedingly smart Mm -hmm. Um, and then we had uh, I think someone who was like a grandma Um, and she I think she started vet school at I don't know if it was
3: forty-eight or fifty-two, something like that. Wow!
1: Um, but yeah, so you, age is just like in animals; age isn't a disease, and it's mm-hmm. the same with people. You can you can go to vet school as an older student. It can be a second or a third career.
0: Right, right. That is the truth. So, since like you have two kind of factors of your life that I'm crazy interested in do you or what are some challenges that you have faced as a minority in either of those industries you know as a veterinarian or in the horse industry
1: so in the horse industry I don't I think um I don't know if it was an obvious challenge to me because I'm I tend to I tend to like turn things off. You know, if, if it doesn't fit into my narrow paradigm, it kind of is out there on the periphery and I don't see it or hear it. And I know it's there, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it never... That aspect of, of it coming from outside, coming from other people never bothered me. It was... Um, for me, I just had so many people... In my life, because of the time period where I grew up, that were always trying to protect me from, I guess, being hurt or getting my feelings hurt, or, or, you know, whatever society was putting out back in the 70s and the 80s when I was um, really getting, really trying to ride a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. So, most of the challenges probably came from. Uh, family of all places Yeah. that were like, Oh, you're still into horses. When are you going to stop doing that? You know, it was for them seeing me do the horses was a fad. And so with the exception of my mother, um, I never really got a whole lot of support. Mm-hmm. So I think probably the biggest challenge was I was the only one out there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It was, you know, you'd go to a horse show and it was me. Yeah. Um, and and my mother would hear people say things like, oh, my God, she's such a good rider. Look how straight her back is. Her leg never moves.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I would get not compliments necessarily to my face, but my mother would overhear people say things when during the time when she would go to the horse shows. Um, but uh, I didn't do I would say that I didn't do a lot of horse showing, because when I was um, younger, first of all, my parents weren't familiar with it, and uh, some of the instructors I'd had over the years were were not really into the hunter-jumpers, which is what, what I wanted to do, so right. everybody wanted me to do what they wanted me to do, but no one was really, I didn't really have the people around me that could help me get work, to do what I wanted to do until I was older, until after I'd um was able to do it and work and um right the financial burden of it myself
0: right right
1: um so like when I first started riding it was western and I was just happy to be on a horse mm-hmm. but and and I saw someone on a horse i I don't even remember what color it was i think of red i don't even know it was an appaloosa or a quarter horse or but i have no idea because i was like six or seven and he was was doing something really interesting he was like crawling all over this horse and trying to go from the horse's back and go around the horse's neck and get back on its back like an acrobat i'm like (laughs) i was watching him and then he would ride the horse and I told the riding instructor, can I ride like that? And she just looked at me and said, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I remember. I mean, she may have said other things, but the only thing I heard was no. And then I got to get on this big, giant horse called Snowball that was really fuzzy and and uh, in a western saddle and walk and jog and loaf around the arena, mm-hmm. which we did on Saturdays. And then um other adventures that i had were you know summer camp and and uh <laughs> boarding school that's a whole nother story oh um, wow <laughs> in which i got to ride quite a bit and yeah. do some really interesting and dangerous and maybe uh things
0: that we're glad are... we didn't have social media back then so <laughs> no <knows> <laughs> There's no um, proof. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, but all of that was Western and bareback. But I will say that at, during my time at boarding school in Northern California, I, we got taken to a dressage show. Mm-hmm. And that was my first experience seeing dressage. And it was amazingly interesting um, for me at that time. And so we all came back from the show and we spent the next two or three months doing flying lead changes around the property between classes. <laughs> Which was, was fun, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so then at the end of that year, we came back home. Um, and s- instead of going back to riding the Western horses, um, we found uh, a woman who was teaching um, uh, that was leasing her horse, and so w- we went over to her property and. She had a big old western quarter horse and uh, more petite, I have no idea what it was, horse that looked like um, a light quarter horse or a thoroughbred cross or something. And Mm -hmm. She said, you would be better off on this horse and I'll give you lessons. And so I would go out twice a week and I would clean um, the paddocks for a lesson on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And I thought I knew how to ride because I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. and we've been riding horses, and I went to summer camp, and I went to boarding school, and we were on all these horses, and, and so I thought I knew how to ride, mm-hmm.
2: and being a German duchess
1: who had moved to Northern California from um, whatever situation uh, her family was in, um, she decided that... I was going to learn how to ride massage, but that I needed to learn balance. And so she took my stirrups away and she took my reins away and I had lunge lessons for like a year and I got really good at sitting the trot and posting the trot and picking up a canter on a horse that was
2: reluctant to listen to anything that my legs said. And so I learned
1: how to ride and, and I might not be able to, I may not have been the best rider, but, and compared to other people my age, that might have been, you know, showing, but I could sit pretty much any horse after that. That was...
0: Yeah, I bet. No stirrups.
1: <laughs> yeah. Posting a trot for an hour with your arms out to the side like an airplane.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm like, Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um... And so we moved to Texas, um, I did that for two years. We moved to Texas, and I didn't think there was going to be any place to ride because Texas didn't have anything but western horses and cowboys. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, well, that's not quite true. And uh, we found – my mother found a place, and I stayed there for um, a few years cleaning stalls and, of course, doing everything I would said earlier – grooming horses yeah
0: in exchange for lessons
1: exchange for like a lesson or two and and then uh, uh, I got my first horse on Christmas when I um, I, when I was 12 or 13 oh nice but that was my first horse and it was a little soil quarter horse and uh, learned a lot and started looking at another Uh, Hunter Jumper Barn that wasn't too far from where we lived and rode there for about a year before they ended up selling and moving to San Antonio. Oh
0: my goodness.
1: (laughs) So um, after that, my riding career pretty much ended until college. Um, And I rode for I guess one semester in college. I was trying to ride and um, had the misfortune of slipping on ice in Washington, D.C. and breaking my leg. Oh, no. Oh, no. All these adventures, everything, <laughs> kind of keeping me from doing what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up being able to ride the next semester after that, and, um, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was interesting, um. Because they were using terminology that I had never heard before. Not that it wasn't correct; it's just I hadn't heard it before because of all the other people that I'd ridden with over the years.
3: Mm-hmm. And um, so I rode there for a little bit,
1: and uh, during school, and then I think, I think um, the f- the second year in DC, I was just done
3: with the cold yeah yeah (laughs) with the cold and decided texas was probably an okay place
0: to be and zoomed back where the temperatures were a little bit warmer yes more manageable yeah and
1: then um started looking for places in the in the area where i could ride and um so that's uh that happened in what year was that? I think that was 83? 82 mm-hmm. or 83. Mm-hmm. Got with the barn and, and did well. Um, but I guess one of the things that started happening was was you would get other kids in that were, that his parents had more money and, and so they would get more attention. They would be able to go out horse hunting and and get uh, more expensive horses than you can afford. And um, I ended up having a really nice horse. He did really well on the local circuit. Probably did one or two A-circuit shows with him, but um, ended up selling him, getting another horse. And then that one... um, That one... Had a medical problem, and I showed up to the barn one day, and he unfortunately had um, died. Oh no! So he and he died. I got a phone call, and it was sad. Um, and that was probably like the first time I thought about that medicine. Mm-hmm. was when that had happened, because I wanted to know what happened, and I wanted to make sure that. Something like that didn't happen to anyone else. I was still in that, that naive. I can save them all.
0: Right. I can help everyone.
1: And, you know, and I try to help everyone.
2: Mm. But I can But yeah.
1: unfortunately, we can't save them all. Um, but after that, I uh, ended up getting another horse who was amazing. He was my buddy. And I actually took him to vet school with me.
0: Oh nice.
1: Well, well good because you need something to keep you sane. And yeah. He was an amazing horse and he lived to the age of thirty two.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Mm-hmm. I got him with an eight year old and he lived till thirty two and he was he was just my best friend. So but he helped me through vet school, because whenever you had a hard day, you could go out to the barn, and he was like, okay, let's go for a trail ride, Aww. and we would go. That's precious. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think everybody needs a little something to help them get through, whether
2: it's, you know, get through vet school, get through med school, get through nursing school, get through engineering, Right.
1: Whatever.
0: You need right.
1: something fun to help you get through, and for me, it was the horses.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel you on that one. I have a 25-year-old and he's a jerk. But <laughs> he was
1: well, at his 25. I know. He's
0: he was my childhood horse and he has heaves, so he doesn't do anything, but he's just like I just go to feed him and he's he's gotten to the point where he can swat his tail like with such precision. That it hits me in the face, and I'm not even, like, that close to him. And I'm like, really? (laughs) It's cold. There are no flies. Why did you just hit me? (laughs) Because
1: I have 363-degree vision, and I knew exactly where you were, and I was giving you my opinion. Right!
0: (laughs) He's such a turd, but, I mean, we've been on many a trail, and he's gotten me out of many a sticky situation, so... He just gets to live and eat hay, and you know, until oh, yeah. until he doesn't want we to all, anymore.
1: We all have those. I, I I now have way too many horses, but that's okay. I yeah. enjoy them.
0: How many do you have?
1: Oh six.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, that's a lot.
1: It's <laughs> a lot. It, it's a few. not I don't have time to ride six. Actually. Um, one of them, as I said earlier, was my son's, is my son's pony. Right. Um, and, uh, one of them was supposed to be my amateur owner jumper and yeah, life, life happens and mm-hmm. basically a big pasture pet. Occasionally I get them going. We, I, I brought in a couple of, I brought in a clinician, uh, a few times, um, to the area and had really good clinics when, and I thought I was going to get going. I kept giving myself a reason to get back on and work and ride and and brought in the clinician and had really good rides and, and then after the last time we did the clinic, it was like, I'll, I look up and it's a year and a half later and I've done nothing with him.
0: <laughs> that so, it happens, life just blinks life. before your eyes
1: life happens. You have to work. You have to go to gymnastics meets. You have to, um, you
0: know, take care of the other horses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Are you the veterinarian for one of the, like, production? Like, the horse production thing? I can't even remember what it's called. Um...
1: Oh, um... Are you talking about... Like um, they did the jousting? The joust horses, Yeah. Yeah. The Texas Renaissance Festival is the biggest renaissance festival in the country. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: And it is currently
2: going on right now. Oh, wow. Um, And I did their vet work
1: um, from about 2005 up until two years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. only reason I'm not doing it was because I, um, started doing something else that really started taking up a lot of my time mm-hmm. and didn't allow me to, uh, spend the amount of time that I would spend up there. I'd be up there every weekend in October and November. And I love the jazz horses. They're just amazing. Yeah. Amazing horses. Usually, they're not really bred for the joust. It's usually horses that are um, acquired from people or situations that um, they uh, um, the, the owners don't want them anymore and,
3: yeah.
1: um, for another reason, yeah. where they have some, some issue that the owners weren't willing to address, and so a lot of the joust horses... For this particular company which is the original joust company in the country the Hanlon, the Hanlon Lee's Action Theater
3: mm-hmm. um, is the original joust com- joust company um,
1: and all other joust companies um, hail from them right. and, and uh, they I did their the vet work for those horses for years and, and um, spent a lot of time up there in October and November every year and it's going on right now and they're having a great joust um,
0: that's super cool so do uh, you yeah. do you have like a primary focus as far as what you practice
1: in uh it's I do mostly um, backyard horses um, mm-hmm. I've gone from doing a lot of show horses to doing the backyard horses and it 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 flip-flops a lot just depending on on uh, you know the year sometimes I end up doing a lot of show horses
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, it, i can't i can't really tell why it changes mm-hmm. um, but I like the backyard clients yeah um, and a lot of a lot of them have uh, show horses that they keep at home mm-hmm And some people just have horses because they like to see them eating grass in the pasture. Yeah. And a lot of them, you know, barrel racers. Um, I've got a couple of
3: clients that breed reigning horses. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I've got uh, some hunter jumper people. I've got some massage people. You name it, I've got a little bit of everything. That's Um, And it makes it interesting. I don't have... I used to have some off-track racehorses, but, um, don't really have that much anymore since most of the racehorses go to Louisiana, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and, and, let's see, yeah, that's, that's about it, um.
0: So, do you own your practice?
1: I do. I am ambulatory. I've worked for a year for someone else, and, um, it, he did a lot of everything. So I learned, I learned a lot of cow medicine mm-hmm. and goat medicine that I don't use. <laughs> and I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with that most of the time. Um, <laughs> and, um, I've done a lot of small animal, um, medicine mm-hmm. and which, which is kind of a backup for me. I did, I did have to have knee surgery once, multiples of years ago, and um, the horses didn't like the crutches. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah, and so well, I did. I did relief work a lot in that period where I couldn't walk and I had to be on crutches. Right. Um, but uh, um, and then uh, I was I was ambulatory, mobile. Um, solo practitioner for several years and then uh, a friend of mine wanted to build a clinic and go into practice and just needed a partner and so we talked about it for a while and I built a mixed animal practice
3: Mm -hmm. um,
1: that did very well Mm -hmm. Um, and then um, she wanted to be on her own and do it by herself and so I ended up, um, leaving there and selling her, uh, my share You're of the practice of it. Yeah. and going back ambulatory again. Um, and, uh, I mean, a lot of interesting stories that we could probably talk about for hours, but.
0: I know, why. I know. I'm having to restrain myself from asking yeah, you every exactly. single question. <laughs> let, me, let me, not go in that
1: direction because I'm really bad at going on tangents <laughs> and forgetting what the original question was. <laughs> um, so, uh, and at that point, I decided I wasn't, I didn't really want to do it again. I didn't want to build something again that I had to babysit, that I had to make sure someone was at the front desk and answering the phone. Right. And, um, and at that time, uh, uh, my son was
3: um, six months old, eight months old,
1: mm-hmm. and I had to, I'd have to go back and look at the dates to give exact ages. But anyway, he was less than a year.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so went out on my own again and ended up having to rebuild the ambulatory practice, which was fine. And then... We ended up moving from. I lived in the Missouri City uh, area, southwest Houston, Missouri City. Mm-hmm. Ended up moving from there to, and found some property in in uh, Needville that my husband was very keen on. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, after much discussion, we elected to um, get this property. <laughs>
1: nice. And. It's been an adventure ever since, and I'm still ambulatory,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it gives me a lot more flexibility.
0: Right. Do uh, you have anything. your horses on uh, your property?
1: Yeah, so they're, they're out the kitchen. You can look out the kitchen window and see them.
3: Yeah, that's um, nice.
1: Which is great, because they tell me when breakfast is late, and they start yelling <laughs> at me. <laughs> yep. But, it's a, but being ambulatory, again, has allowed me some flexibility and being able to raise and really participate in the growing up of my son. As right. opposed to dropping him off at daycare, sending him to school for hours, and I only see him in the evening.
0: Right. So, we, right.
1: we did that for a bit. Um, I homeschool mm-hmm. now. hmm And
3: uh, so, my my days are interesting.
1: <laughs> and uh, when I'm not... Um homeschooling, taking care of my own horses, which I don't get to do as much because I'm taking care of someone else's horses and mm-hmm. taking care of someone else's horses, yeah uh uh taking my son to gym where he spends um five hours a day, Wow, uh, yeah, and then taking care of the property mm-hmm. um, and on top of that, um the one thing I didn't say about. Um, the vet medicine is. I am uh, on the state board of veterinary medical examiners. Wow! So that that is my added thing that keeps me from doing a whole bunch of other things, which is how, one of the reasons I had to give up the um, my time at the Texas Renaissance Festival and yeah. at the, with the jousters, just because I just it was just too much on my plate yeah, so yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that tends to be the same sentiment between you know all veterinary professionals having yeah. a full having a full plate so yeah. um so i I do know that one part of your question that you'd asked earlier mm-hmm. um, was about some of the challenges um, in vet medicine for um, someone who is black or yeah
1: uh, american or whatever and i didn't really address that yeah uh,
0: yeah go
2: ahead
1: and i as i said i didn't have any issues getting in it was a little bit more
3: challenging getting out mm-hmm. um but i did <laughs> there were some interesting
1: funny situations and i don't know if it's Funny ha-ha or funny
3: strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think the
1: first interesting incident was that I was having a problem in one of my classes. And it turned out later we discovered that I was all but I won't say blind as a bat, but looking through microscopes gave me headaches, severe headaches. Mm-hmm. Because um, I obviously needed glasses and never knew it. But I went to the instructor to ask for help, and he wanted to know what other classes I was failing besides his. (laughs) I'm like, well, all right then. So he proceeded to help one of my classmates who had also showed up at his office and ignored me. And of course, I wasn't failing anything else. I was actually acing everything else and um, to the point where I think I think I blew the curve in the physiology
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I was pretty confident with everything else but but uh, I ended up I think that was microbiology. Yeah, I was gonna ask um,
0: if it was a micro yeah, or a pathology class yeah.
1: yeah and. So, I ended up getting some help from one of the other microscopic anatomy professors. and I spent basically from midterm through the end of the year, working and learning stuff that most people had probably learned when they did the biomedical science courses. and mm-hmm. ended up acing all the exams after that and usually getting all the bonus points and and did fine, so that was that was one interesting um, incident. Yeah, uh, I think this one's really funny, um, or you might not think it's funny. <laughs> I, I, was, I,
0: was, do share, I Do share, do share.
1: I don't even I don't even know was I amazed or appalled or surprised. It's like, what do you say to this? <sighs> I'm sitting in the library, and I guess it was time during my second year, and one of my classmates came up while I was sitting in the in the library and said, uh, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He goes, how did you get here? Oh. I said, I'm sorry, what? He said, well, you must be incredibly smart, and I just wanted to know how you got here, because... All the other black people that we know, they're not really smart. They're just like the janitors and the maids and, the, and whatever. And I just kind of looked at it and my jaw dropped and I just didn't know what to say. I wouldn't have known what to say either. Uh,
0: and I, went, I would have said a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I was like, uh, you know, I don't know. Most of the black people I know are very intelligent. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness!
1: You know, I'm sorry. How can they not be my? You know, I guess I come from a family of very intelligent people, and last yeah, time I checked, most of them were black. You know, my dad has a PhD in mathematics. Yeah,
0: probably. yeah, I would have lit that and, library up. Yeah, <laughs> and, and
1: and my mother has a master's in music from the Eastman School of Music. Mm-hmm. And you've never met a smart black person in your life. Right. And that came out of the mouth of one of my classmates.
0: That's amazing. Around the year
1: 1996. No, 1992. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: That's ridiculous.
1: And, and it was so shocking to me that at some point... um, I mentioned that to a couple of my classmates. I'm like, can you believe that this particular person in our class said this to me? <laughs> they looked at me, and they were shocked.
3: Of course, mm-hmm.
1: I'm the only, at the time, I'm the only black person in the entire vet school. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was, <laughs> it wasn't that they didn't know that there were people around. It's just that I was there.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And I had an instructor, another interesting thing. I had a lot of little interesting things that just kind of take you by surprise. Mm hmm. When they happen. What do you say? You know, you're not going to say anything ugly. Yeah. When you're surrounded by people. And I just, I don't think fast enough to say ugly things. Mm
2: hmm. <laughs>
1: um, One of the instructors and I think this was also in microanatomy, or maybe it was embry oh, I think it was embryology, so it's second year. And he wasn't being mean, it was just like it's it's that lack of familiarity because I've never been around people that don't look like me. I really don't know how to speak to them. Right. Kind of thing. And so this instructor was talking about the number of vertebrae in the spine of mammals. And so he was saying how many people ha- humans have versus how many cats and dogs have versus how many horses have. And then he looked at me out of the blue and we're all sitting around kind of leaning in, listening to him. And all of a sudden he kind of takes both hands and he, you know, when you're trying to make a point and your hands come down, Mm -hmm. You know, like you're throwing, throwing your hands at someone trying to make a point.
0: Yeah. So he leans in and says,
1: except for black people, and they have an extra vertebra.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I was like, like, uh, and and like he leans in towards me when he's saying this, and it it makes me sit back going, oh, wow, like, you just kind of jumped at me.
0: What in the world?
1: What do you say to that when you're surrounded by your other hundred and... Teen
0: classmates. <laughs> wow! I, yeah, I just
1: so. and there, there's you know, I probably have another half dozen just like
0: that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just little microaggressions, I think they term it now. Yeah,
1: just... and and. I don't a couple of them may have been just outright ugly and some of them are just like we've never been around black people and we don't know how to talk to them like you know we're just people talk to us like you talk to everyone else right? you know and 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 were there a couple of ugly incidents yeah but I'm I get my blinders on it irritates me for a minute and Mm -hmm. then I go on because I can't worry about them I have to worry about where I'm going, and they're not going to do any. They're not going to do anything in class. They're not going to teach anything wrong to keep you from graduating, right? So, just you know, put your head down, keep going, smile,
0: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> try yeah. not to be
1: grumpy, yeah, and get on with your life. Yeah. So, I would say that in in the writing, my parents were protecting me mm-hmm. from what they grew up with. Because mm-hmm. my parents were my parents were that age that they grew up seeing all of it, you know, all of the right, all of the stuff from the forties and the fifties and the sixties, yeah, civil
0: rights era. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. um, and they wanted to protect me from it, so they wanted they didn't want me to be in the business, mm-hmm. um, because they weren't familiar with anyone that was in the business, um. And certainly there, there weren't any black people in the horse industry the way I wanted to be in it that they ever saw or they right. really right. were really familiar with the industry anyway as far as that medicine um, you know those little incidences they're just blips yeah. and you you know I guess people might be more reactionary now or maybe they're not because things have changed things have changed a lot but the more they've changed the more they've stayed the same you know
0: yeah yeah
1: Um, it's just it's there but it's different mm-hmm. and I just can't worry about it and as far as vet medicine and how people have responded to me since I've been out um Again, you still have those little incidences. Um, and, you know, a couple of the nasty things never got said to my
0: face, but I would hear about it secondhand. Yeah. And that's fine. But you just, un- unlike
1: um, some of my colleagues, I have to be very good. Mm-hmm. And just like in the workspace that, a lot of people of color are familiar with. You can't just be good; you have to be better to be considered yeah. as good.
0: Yeah, or equal. yeah, you got to work twice as hard.
1: It's the same in vet medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I have recognized now, once people know you, it's not an issue. And I've been out long enough where I don't really have any of those issues. But early on, I had those issues. Yeah. Um, and if I have those issues now, I just ignore them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hand them, hand them the invoice and, and
0: go on. <laughs> You're going to take this invoice. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, they'll take, they'll take that because they want you to come back in case they have another problem. Yeah,
0: but, yeah. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's about the
1: horses and, or whatever particular animal I've been, asked to work on, Yeah. But my preference, of course, is the horses. Yeah, um, yeah. Overall, I've, I've, you know, helped a lot of people, and they're the same people that are out there in all the other industries that you might work with. It's just vet medicine versus um, working, well, I won't say working in retail. You have to deal with a lot more people there, Oh, yeah. You come across the same
0: the same type of people types of people yeah. and the same
1: types of situation.
0: right. situations right 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 well i guess my last question since you know mental health in veterinary medicine is or mental health period is a big topic right now kind of in the media um but especially with veterinary medicine Um, I know the job can be stressful. I mean, I work at an animal hospital, so I I understand the stresses of the job. What do you do to kind of combat that, you know, the compassion fatigue, you know, the, you know, dealing with difficult clients? I mean, hopefully more of them are not. But what do you do to kind of stay on the more positive end of, kind of this broad spectrum of mental health that's being discussed nowadays
1: well um, I guess I do a lot I guess I mean I definitely I can honestly say I've probably gotten burned out two or three times mm-hmm. um, and you just have to do something different
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and even doing something different or a month or two is enough to help you um, get
2: a new perspective
0: Yeah. on what you're doing. And you
1: have to, I guess for everyone, it's a little bit different. Like what's causing the burnout? Are you burned out because you're working all the time?
0: Mm-hmm. Then
1: you need to work a little bit less Yeah. and take care of yourself. Are you burned out because... People aren't paying you. Well, it's better to not do the work and not get paid than to do the work and not get paid. Yeah. So you might need to decide you're going to um, make the changes you need to do to relieve yourself of the people that are
3: taking your time and your energy and not compensating you for that. Yep.
1: Um, and, you know, being a solo practitioner, I, can fire my clients. They can fire me anytime, and you know it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a practitioner, I can do the same thing. I don't have to work for someone. Yeah. I am not required to agree to go and work for someone. And if I think someone is is difficult or is going to try to emotionally blackmail me, I can't work for them. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I've gotten to where I shoot straight from the hip Um, I think I'm very realistic Mm -hmm. and I
3: um, I try to be compassionate but also be very honest Mm
1: -hmm. with people I tell them what their options are and let them make that decision and don't try to get involved in their decision making outside of giving them you know this is just how the it information could work out for the best this is how it could go badly this is what the cost is and I don't know whether I can't tell you whether or not I would do that for my own animal but this is what you know this is the option that you have for your animal and not take it personally you, like I said earlier on, you can't save them all. Right. You can fly Right. Um, it, but you know, if your if your mental angst is coming from the feeling that you're not saving enough animals, you know, you have to you, you're gonna have to let that god complex go. Right. Because um, some of them are gonna you're not going to save all of them no matter how much money you throw at them.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And some of them will live despite whatever, despite everything you do, they're going to live. Yep. Um, So you have to let that go. If, as far as compassion fatigue, um, you know, I, I don't, that's really a hard one. That, that is definitely a personal how do I, how do I manage? And for me, I'm so busy. It's, it's. I do have some cases that can get sad, but I'm busy enough in my life that um, that medicine isn't my whole life. It's just, it's something I do, and when I do it, I'm very passionate about it. Yeah. That it doesn't define me. It doesn't define who I am.
0: Right. I'm, right.
1: I'm a mom. I'm a mm-hmm. business owner. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm an equestrian, except I haven't been riding recently. <laughs> <I have one laughs> That's team, okay. The round pen, and they work.
0: That's okay. <laughs>
1: but um, and I work out a lot. Um, mm-hmm. We've got this great group in in Texas and, and in the Houston area called Camp Gladiator. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. They're they're pretty they're pretty awesome and. Um, we do these community workouts, and and it's very uplifting to be around people that are like minded from totally different walks of life that are yeah in it to get better physically and, and build a community
0: yeah
3: and
1: so that that's, that works and then of course my family is fairly close and I spend you know my I spend time with with uh, my sister and her kids and the people at the gym where my son. Is uh is on the gymnastics team. Their their family and people that my son homeschools with they are becoming family. So I think I think you just have to put yourself in position to have more going on in your life than just that medicine, right. right? And that's how you keep yourself sane. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, don't try not to put um. Let other people's, and you can be sad for people, but you can't let other people's um, uh, emotions about their animals um, affect you. And I, I don't know how to tell you not to do that,
2: but
3: yeah. I think having these other groups that you participate
0: in is a good start. Whatever those groups are, yeah, um, yeah. Exer-
1: exercise is great. Mm-hmm. The more you exercise, the more physically fit you are um the better you're going to be and then
2: of course whatever however you feel about spirituality that also helps too
0: yeah
1: um and i don't
0: know that was a great (laughs) that was a great response
1: (laughs) that's kind of how it goes for me and that doesn't mean i won't get burned out
3: tired of things and want to go do something else for a while especially when it's really hot or really cold yeah um but i have enough
1: variety that helps and and uh occasionally i'll go i've got a client with some interesting animals and i'll go do something really interesting like play with the camel or the llama or something something that's not a horse and And then I'm like, oh, that was fun. Let me go back to the (laughs) horse. My comfort zone is the horse. Yes,
0: yes. That's what I was doing, too, working in small animal. I would go um, with a mobile small camelid practice on the weekends. And I'm like, you know, I hate cats and dogs right now. But this llama and then this goat, you know, (laughs) I'm like, okay, I just had to catch a goat flying through the air let me just deal with cats and dogs <laughs> it's all about yeah. balance yeah it's all so, about balance
1: uh, yeah, yeah and i've got uh a couple of friends that they're always like i'm going out of town can you can you come work in my practice for me and mm-hmm. really okay I can, I can do it but i can't do it two days in a row because then i'd be really unhappy yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like being out, I love being outside, except Mm -hmm. for when it's really, really cold, Mm -hmm. and you'll hear me complain, but um, I uh, really enjoy the outdoor life, and the outdoor activity, and being Mm -hmm. with the horses um, outside, as opposed to the dogs and cats inside.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah awesome well thank you so much for sharing everything that you have talked about today i'm really happy that we got a chance to talk to you tonight thank you thank you for listening to young black equestrians the podcast be sure to follow us on facebook and instagram for updates listen rate and review us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and spotify see you next time